Before we get rolling, just a quick warning that this podcast does feature real uncensored conversations with real uncensored people, so some of the language may not be appreciated by all. Listener discretion is advised. Hello world, welcome back to Living to Write. I'm Brian Landwehr and I'm a writer. If you're listening, maybe you are too, or maybe you'd like to be, or you just like to learn about what writers really do and how and why they do it. In each episode, we talk with a successful writer about their methods, achievements, challenges, experiences, and advice for other writers. And I say we because my good friend Bailey Patterson is always here too. He too is a writer, but most importantly at the moment, he's also our producer. What's up, Bailey? Hey, Brian. I got a great guest for us this episode. Uh, She's actually a friend of mine, and she's written plenty of great TV. She's staffed on an award-winning show and even sold her first spec screenplay after it made it on the uh, blacklist in 2021. Very cool, and apparently I almost kind of somewhat sort of met her in person before. Is that right? At the, uh, you were saying at the Story Summit event in Hawaii last year? Yeah, that's right. Um, I've been, I'll even send you a group pic that the three of us are in. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure how you two didn't get properly introduced, but, uh, I don't know either, but there's always so many people and so much going on at those things. Um, so let's make up for that missed opportunity right now by having that proper conversation with today's guest, Jessica Welsh. Jessica is an LA-based writer working mostly in television and also making inroads into film, as Bailey mentioned. She's a staff writer on the excellent Apple TV Plus series Stillwater, which is a beautifully animated family-friendly show that was not only nominated for a daytime Emmy, but is also so smart and deep that it won a Peabody Award for excellence in storytelling. Oh, it's a work of art, really. And, you know, it's not like I spend a bunch of time watching kids' shows. I don't even know if you'd want me writing in that area, otherwise you might see characters like Jason and and Freddy pop up. But (laughs) I'm pretty sure they aren't usually, you know, this art, artsy-fartsy, so. Agreed. Kids deserve art, too. Gosh darn it. And with that in mind, let's get Jessica in here and learn a little bit about how and why our guest writes her art. Let's do it. Lights, camera, action. Hello. Hello, Jessica. Hi, guys. How are you? Great. How are you today? Good. Um, Brian, I feel like we must have met um in hawaii briefly yeah and then when i saw your photo i'm like oh yes, yes okay we've we must at have... least been across in the same crowded room yeah. i think and i think we even showed up in a couple photos together but oh. uh, that that doesn't mean we ever properly met so mm-hmm. so hello nice to properly meet <laughs> yes very nice thanks for doing this today um yeah speaking of story summit Aren't they great? And I'm not trying to launch yeah. into an ad here. I'm sincerely asking. Yeah, it's probably it's gotten so many people, especially just with the timing through the pandemic. Um, yes. I mean, 
all of us writers are like in our little goblin caves most <laughs> of the time in real life and the pandemic made that even more more so so just providing a forum where everyone can meet and make these connections about writing together as i it's gotten more than a few people uh through that really hard time I agree. They were very much needed, right place, right time. And I'm going to steal that goblin cave business, if that's okay. <laughs> goblin cave is pretty much my life. Yeah, that's generally the metaphor I use. Yeah, I like myself. Gremlin, goblin, some cave dweller. <laughs> <laughs> so why are you a writer? How'd you become a writer? How'd you get to this? Why? Um, the why of it all? Uh, well, I guess that might go back to the, the family lore has it uh, that when I was little and uh, growing up in England, um, I had, I slept in my crib, not with a Paddington bear, but with the Paddington book. <laughs> so <laughs> from days of being a, a wee baby, I just loved books. And um, I think that continued on through childhood. Um, I remember having this game that I would play with the other neighborhood kids and it was called Strict Mothers. And it was about <laughs> the the titular Strict Mother uh, was on her like fifth marriage. She'd always tried to marry rich. And this one, she found a rich guy, but as soon as she got married to him, he like lost all his fortune. So then everyone was forced to live in this one room flat, which was like, the room we were playing in and they had a million pets those were our beanie babies and so I just got so intense into this game and I would write character biographies and draw like a character lineup and make these family trees and like we would be acting out uh you know basically a story like when we played you know so this was how I played and like just like getting really intensely into a world and a story was something even as a little kid that I was doing like for fun. I don't come from a creative family or um, I, I don't have any friends, parents, family members or anyone who was doing anything in the arts. So that there was then a bit of a dark ages as I grew older where I was, um, I was mainly playing sports. So I was not in touch with that side of myself as much, but once I kind of got out from under the roof and went to college, it kind of all was rediscovered with, with a vengeance. And I was like, I think this is what lights the fire for me and, and what I want to do. So. Oh, that's fascinating. And when you were playing this strict mother game, is that what you called it? Strict mothers, uh, yeah. <laughs> strict mothers. Uh, uh, about how old would you have been at that point? Uh, I was seven. -ish. Wow. Older it, it was done in scented gel pen and all the <laughs> 90s touches. The 90s um, touches. I love that. Yeah. Uh, fascinating. So uh, not just fascinated with what writers did or how writing worked. It, obviously, you were really compelled by story at that point. Mm -hmm. And and the writing was the tool so that you could do something with the stories that were bouncing around in your head. Yeah, I think so. And even without knowing it, even as, as a kid, what you were even doing, that, that it's like, we in my mind, we were like playing, but it was like story was such a part of the playing, but I, I didn't connect those dots at the time. So Well, I think yeah, that's a... what makes it so 
revealing and telling an interesting truth about yourself is that, of course, at that age, you were just doing what seemed fun. You didn't, mm -hmm. you didn't have a goal. You didn't think, oh, I'm thinking about maybe trying this storytelling this thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. You, you weren't looking for an agent at that point or any, or a manager. Yeah. You just, <laughs> it, it's, it will, it's what was fun to you. So you did it. Uh, that is fascinating. Uh, so, so you said you got back into writing with the vengeance and this was obviously what lit the fire for you. Once you were spending a little less time with sports and realized this, uh, recognized this, I should say in yourself again, what did you do with it at that point? So I was an English major, you know, in college and, um, was also taking some my first screenwriting classes and so I loved every minute of them so I declared to my parents that I was going to go to LA uh I grew up on first in England then Connecticut so move across the country and go to LA and become a screenwriter and gave them a uh minor heart attack um but <laughs> they did not they were kind enough not to discourage me. They're just kind of like, okay, you know, we like go for it. We don't know anything about this, but like you do you. And so, um, so when you headed to LA, was there some, uh, suggestion or promise of employment at that point, or is this the classic head to LA and see what you can make of its story? Ex yeah, exactly. Like just getting off the plane at LAX with a dream and your cardigan. Um, <laughs> uh, and you can make of everything. Like I didn't really know anyone out here. So I, I'd written some spec scripts like of existing shows and like an original script, but they weren't like great quality. They were so very much like juvenilia. <laughs> and mm. um, so, and I hadn't really, you know, when I came out, I hadn't exactly like there was just so much I didn't know about how the industry worked. And I, so I didn't have, I would say a clear idea of like what I wanted to write. I was like writing like specs for like the show new girl, you know, like broadcast, like, like comedy. And um, I was trying that out um, or, or trying on different kinds of scripts uh, while I needed a job. <laughs> so um, I ended up my first job working as a director's assistant on a film that, was right about to go into production. So that was a great intro to the world of filmmaking, life on set, a great life education as well. It was uh, like, I learned so much about how the industry works and uh, met real filmmakers, like, you know, people who were proving you could do this for a living, but it ended up for me not being uh, the right balance of like, I had no time to write and I could not, work around it so that like when you have a 19 hour day on set like right how do you have time to write like i could not figure that out so you were a director's assistant on just mm -hmm. that one film uh two on and two. the first one was like a smaller movie so um that one was a little more doable uh second was like big budget action much more involved intensive uh film so so after that one, that's when I left and need to have a fresh start here and find something that works better, day, you know, day job wise. So you got a chance to write some more and how did you mm -hmm. turn that into a career? 
I reset in, I really thought more about what I wanted to write and where I wanted to start. And I, I was thinking how some of the films that had most impacted me had been things that I saw film and TV when I was a kid, just cause you're at such a vulnerable age. So, um, and I've always loved animation and just the possible, you know, how you can do anything with your imagination, you know, writing a story for animation. So I started learning more about the animation world, which is a little bit of a separate, uh, it's covered by a different guild, a bit of a separate world than the live action screenwriting world. So I met people who were animation writers and got feedback, wrote, you know, a combination of spec scripts of existing shows and original scripts, kids animation. And I tried to meet people as much as I could. And eventually one of those people who I had met uh, on a, his boss had a show that was starting up and going into production. So I went in for an interview as a script coordinator. So that's how I got my very first job, which became my very first writing credits through the script coordinator route, which it's often a gateway for TV writing. Um, but I'm sure that we have plenty of listeners who aren't familiar with the oh, fundamentals yeah. of being a script coordinator, mm -hmm. you said? Script coordinator or sometimes writing assistant or ah. um, showrunner's assistant. These are all like support stuff in the writing room that um, like the script coordinator is keeping all the scripts organized and proofreading and distributing the, the scripts to the right people at the right stages. And it's, you're often in the room taking notes during the story breaks. So it's great experience to be in the room and it becomes the gateway. Traditionally, you can get to write your first episode on that show mm. as a script coordinator. So, um, and then once you have that, that's obviously very helpful to getting your next job and hopefully, you know, TV is much more of a ladder than the next rung would be staff writer and the next rung would be story editor. So uh, it's all very helpful for people you meet and the skills that you learn, especially for, uh, or if you want to get into TV writing. So did you end up a staff writer on that show? Yes, I did on the second season. Um, so the first season I was the coordinator and got my first episode credits. And then I wrote on some more shows and got more and had, so I had more credits from those. And this is a bit unique to animation. Uh, it's much more freelance based. There's often shows that don't have a staff. Uh, so, so that's how I was able to get some of these jobs. And then when the show that I worked on got picked up for a second season, then I got promoted to staff writer, which was very exciting. And yeah, that's kind of basically kind of is where I am now. I'm really curious since I know that there's some of the uh, controversy over the or behind the yeah. uh, WGA strike right now is um, the mini rooms and how writers rooms are being managed these days. How big were the uh, the staff in the writers rooms back those days? Well, for, I mean, some of what I'm talking about is animation, which... Oh, so a little bit of a different Yeah, game. it's different. It's a different guild. And, gotcha. um, but it's like still, I guess it's kind of still relevant because 
I think how animation is structured is why the writer's guild is striking. They don't want it to turn into this. Oh, okay. So have, there's a cautionary tale built a in here. Bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. Because it's really hard to make a living um, cobbling together freelance jobs. Um, you know, it's, it's much more doable when you have that weekly staff writer salary. Um, but that's kind of how animation has evolved, I think. I think animation's had its own evolution of the... They used to have more more staff writers and uh, who would all be in a room. I think it's probably related to streaming as well, like the Writers Guild. And now it's quite common that there's no staff writers. It's just the showrunner, um, the script coordinator, and then all freelance writers coming in. So yeah, definitely something that I think the Writers Guild is is looking at and being like, we need to hold on to what we've got. Yeah, that... Uh... That makes a lot of sense to me, and I hope that there will be a reasonable resolution where everybody can walk away fairly mm -hmm. satisfied, especially the writers, um, <laughs> because yeah. I have a feeling at this point we could spiral off into talking about oh, the yeah, strike, strike for 90 off. minutes, <laughs> so I do want to be careful, but I just want to say yeah. for some of our listeners who are possibly not exactly plugged in, I, I think it's fair to say, and stop me if you disagree something tells me you won't disagree <laughs> that the that the that the fundamental of what's going on here is because streaming has changed the model i don't want people to think that the writers are standing up saying "Ooh, all this money's being made we want a bigger chunk of it they're standing mm -hmm. up and saying hey all this money is being made but in a different way in a different model than it was before and we just want to get back to where we were that's ex exactly you know what what's happened with residuals and uh and the the aspect of like writers being used to like it, i think it used to be standard pre-streaming that like writers would go on set and that's how younger writers would in, in tv you you know the the writers would be on set learning to produce and show run so that then they're ready to do that when they are showrunners themselves but now with the mini rooms it's like you have them for just 12 weeks 20 weeks whatever it is and and there isn't that on set time anymore and, and you know residuals on streaming you know those you started with essentially the story of when you ended up in the room on the set and how that meant everything to your career so mm -hmm. to take away that on set time for writers is a real tragedy mm -hmm. and 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 of course of course the industry would like to deal with as few people as possible. They would like to discount the value of writers, uh, literally and figuratively. I get it. I, I get the forces of business. We, we would like to simplify this. And gee, do we really need writers? Guess what? You do. You do. Without the writers, you've got nothing. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I, I hope that there's a tidy resolution to that soon and that the writers in the guild can at least get back to where they were before. You mentioned that you uh, continue to be a staff writer uh, in writer's rooms. Are you working on more than one show at this point? Is that a thing? Um, I, I'm not currently, the, the season ended of, of the, the show I was on, so I'm not currently on staff, but um, so, so some of the anim the animation freelancing I'm, I'm doing um, right now ah. for, yeah. Understood. I watched some uh, clips of of the uh, Stillwater 
show on Apple TV+. Oh, yeah. Plus. Wow, oh, I, mm -hmm. I was immediately struck by a whole bunch of things. And then what I had to say to my wife about it immediately, then I found out a few minutes later that I was writer than I knew. Because my mm -hmm. first reaction from the tone, the style, the writing, even the performances of the voice actors was I said, wow, this is so zen. And uh, I said that without understanding that it is more zen than I had <laughs> realized once I uh, spent another five minutes looking into things. That looks like a really interesting project to have worked on. Is that going to continue for you? Do you know? And can you say? Yeah, um, I wish they would just like keep making still more and more and more still water. Um, there's, there will be more coming out, but, uh, and, and after that, we'll see. Yeah, that was, I was very fortunate that that was the first show and project. Like that was, this is this, the show I was the script coordinator on. And um, oh, okay. it was just such, such a, a unique show to, it was one of Apple's first kids shows that they were, that was coming out. So getting in at that time was super exciting. And it's just, so what it's doing is just like, so elevated for in the art, in the storytelling, like in everything for kids TV. So I was very lucky to work on it and all the people were wonderful to work with as well which is even better I, i'm sure not all staff writers get to uh, say yeah, that everyone in kids tv and animation there is lots of very nice people well that's um great you don't get paid as much but as, uh, as live action but the people are so nice <laughs> this was uh based on a series of books by john j muth do i have that right yeah and yeah. uh was there some direct involvement did the writer's room interact with him directly any significant amount? Yes, he would. Uh, he was looped in on all the stories because so he'd done uh, several books in the series out, but mostly we were making up new stories and ah. uh, inspired all by the format that he had created, which is, um, you know, the main storyline of the three kids and their, their neighbor who's a panda and uh, then the story, the the Buddhist koan uh, story within a story uh, that is, we you know, we do that in every episode. So um, I think he was very appreciative of all the the stories that were, that we were in, inspired by his his books to, to create and felt that they were like in line with, with his a, a beautiful original work. So it was very cool to have his support well i am i'm certain i'm not the target audience for the show and i am <laughs> certainly going to watch some because i was so immediately taken with the the yeah. tone and the vibe of it really grabbed me and everything from writing to production and i think this is probably the first time i've ever seen a show that had a mindfulness coordinator in the oh, yeah. credits uh, malika chopra malika was chopra it? yeah um, fascinating. Uh, much interaction with her directly for the writer's room, I assume? Or was she yeah. more re reviewing what had been written to make sure that it was consistent with the desired message of the show? How, how was she in the yeah. mix? She, um, so Apple's, so Apple's really great about, you know, a lot of their, especially like the kids shows, um, have certain consultants attached that, uh, provide a lot of insight and are experts uh, on the the topic and so we, we had some initial calls with her and she gave us 
great st starting points that we could incorporate. And then she also read the, you know, the outlines and the, and the scripts and was there to chime in as well as especially like on, you know, some had more challenging issues to top it, to tackle. So it was really great to have her for especially those ones. Wow, that that sounds like an exceptional situation. And I'm going to, I've never been involved in a writer's room, but I'm going to guess that is not the standard story of a writer's room to have those sorts of people involved in those ways. It sounds special. Yeah, I have to give Apple a lot of credit for, you know, picking some really great people to match all the, all the shows with. I want to ask about um, comparing your experience working with Apple TV Plus with other streaming platforms, but I sort of feel like I'm setting you up to potentially have to <laughs> uh, say something negative about one of them or uh, pretend that you're not saying something negative about them. So I don't want that to turn into a trap, but it, would it be yeah. fair to say, and you can comment as much or as little on this as you like, suffice to say, they're not all the same. Your experiences are really going to vary, or have you been surprised by how similar the different streaming services have been to work with? I, so I have done like definitely a lot more with Apple than any other oh, okay. of the of the services, but you know I would say you know they vary in terms of like um, the level of notes and uh, even even within the same streaming network, different show to show. So, mm. um, but. Yeah, I, I honestly have had generally very good experiences in kids TV. So that would be a through line I would draw between all the all the platforms and uh, the places that I've written for. So, oh, well, that's really good to hear. So I think when people imagine a writer's room, they imagine you go to work every day and you're in a conference room with some number of people and you all sit around with a whiteboard and cork boards and you bounce ideas off of each other and you write as a team. I think, mm -hmm. I hate to assign that to people, but I imagine people hear writer's room, they think, oh, we team write. What's the reality of what goes on in the writer's room and how does your process overlap with that and how does that inform your process? How do you fit in to what actually happens in a writer's room since you're a, a staff writer? Yeah. Well, I'll speak, you know, to my own experience and like animation and then what uh, of what I know about um you know, live action rooms and and the variations there within. So Great. so on on our show, um we each episode would has different stages. So those would be premise outline, first draft, uh revisions uh and then, you know, all the way through final draft. So um the as staff writer, um, you know, we would have a couple weekly weekly calls in which we brainstormed premises. And um, so we were generating a lot of those. And that was very, but this was all on Zoom because uh, the show went virtual in the pandemic. Mm. And then it stayed that way for season two. So this was all on Zoom, which is totally doable. Um, that is closest to that, that corkboard uh throwing out ideas and pitching this and pitching that. Um, so uh, those initial phrases, and we did um, initial phases. And we also did, I guess, even before all this, we did a uh, writer's summit to kick things off, which a lot of shows will do those where uh, you just get, these were in person, which was really fun. So we just got all the 
freelance writers uh, and us. So in the real world with a real whiteboard, we sure. were writing things on the whiteboard and throwing out ideas. But after that, then it was on Zoom. Um, and to them, we would bring in the writer to do a story break. And on Stillwater, we did it with a director, which was uh, the director as well sat in on those. So she would let us know she had great story ideas um, and as well as like could tell us anything we need to know, like assets or, you know, if something was like po visually, logistically possible with what, with everything that's been built for the show. And with the story break, we would be fleshing out a premise to an outline. So everyone is in there for that, a meeting of the minds. And then the writer would go off. Then the writer kind of takes it from there, writing the outline themselves, turn it in. My my boss as the showrunner doing a pass and making any changes if needed, send it in. Then the writer gets launched to script again. That's them on their own time doing that. And so it was turned over like at outline to the writer and then sent in at each stage and all these passes and rounds of notes from the studio and everything. From what I've been hearing from my friends who are uh, in the live action TV world, um, I think some of them, because the staffs are bigger, they do, they either have hybrid rooms, like going in person, um, writing uh, and, and staying and working from home. But I I think there's a big range with sometimes, um, sometimes there's a writer's room, but the showrunner is basically writing all the episodes. The writers are just there to all be part of the the brainstorm and the brain trust and they still may even get credited as writers and um, on certain episodes, but sometimes the showrunner is just like, I just, that will be faster if I just want to write everything. And so you have that scenario, you have the scenario more like I was describing where the writers are going off and writing their scripts and maybe they don't come into the room that day because they are working on their script. So this actually, everything comes back to the strike. This is actually <laughs> another thing with the, with the strike with, um, uh, room size and like mm -hmm. the fact that there is some the you know like White Lotus is all written by one person and at the same time there's the the, the shrinking of rooms and that that uh, is making it very hard for writers to make a living wage so there there seem to be all these diff these different scenarios out there so that is definitely something that is also on the table with what what's going to happen to with like the number of people in writers rooms you know in these negotiations sure sure i imagine that's going to be a sticky one especially when the streamers can see the success of something yeah. like white lotus and say it turns out you yeah. only need one person <laughs> and yeah. and that's great that he's done everything he's done with that show but that's not the standard situation yeah either. i think it's case by case but it could it's making things sticky as you say yeah yeah <laughs> jessica didn't that happen with the um the idol with that show and there was oh. like a female showrunner kicked off of that too or something or female director where sam levinson i heard like kind of took over control it's, yeah i was just like reading about that the other day it sounds like yeah there was a director who I wasn't clear from what I read on why she left or ha or whatever happened, but I think I was reading that then the whole 
direction of the show kind of Changed, like created yeah. like he yeah it was like all rewritten or something like that so yeah yes, i heard that very too. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of stuff going on about that mm -hmm. show so i just thought i'd yeah interesting yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah i haven't read a whole lot about that situation in that show in general but it sounds like just about every aspect of that show is somewhere between colorful and an an un unholy mess <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It, it 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 sounds interesting. I'm with apologies to any of our audience. If that's yeah. your favorite show, then sorry. Yeah. And I'm not judging it. I haven't watched it, but I have sure read about a lot of drama about a lot of things regarding both the oh, yeah. process of getting it to screen and the result that's on the screen. So um, next, they're gonna do one of those like the making of the idol uh show right, yes. like um, disaster artist <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> uh so jessica in the midst of being involved as a staff writer um you find time to tackle some spec scripts on your own i understand mm -hmm. is that difficult to do i would imagine or because you tend to be in and out of writer's rooms based on when the seasons begin and end? Is that just how you fill your time in between? Yeah, I, I think I, I, I'm usually like, usually every day is, is just like a balance of, I mean, if I'm on staff, you know, that's, that's my day, but, um, every day is kind of a, ba a balance of like, what are the things I have like deadline you know actual jobs that I need to prioritize and then like my spec passion projects and then all the general life stuff fitting fitting that in there too so um so I can't even remember I know that I think it um I did when we went uh virtual for Stillwater in season one um uh that was a big you know kind of a uh, that did open up a lot of time for me just with like losing commute and everything. So that is when I was able to really buckle down on a spec that I'd uh, wanted to work on for a while because um, I'm also interested in features. So I that ended up being a great time to work on this uh, feature spec, um, which ended up being the first one I sold and um, and launched that part of things for me. So um, I guess there were some silver linings about the pandemic. Sure, uh, it sounds like <laughs> a, a, a pretty big one for you. We're talking about Shania right now, is that yes. correct? Yes, that was and, our script, yeah. And Bailey, I believe you you had the privilege of reading that screenplay at some point a while That's ago. Right. Oh, That's only right. because we were in a small group, but yes. <laughs> Ba yeah. Yes, that's true. Bailey was breaking into man. I feel like a woman. He was. Yes. <laughs> into it. No, it's a, it's a fantastic script. It, it really was, and it, it got you on the 2021 blacklist. Yes, it so... did. Lots of great things came from that script. Mm -hmm. How exciting! Yeah. How long did you work on that script? And I mean, calendar-wise, from when you said, "Hey." I'd like to write this to when you had something that resembled a uh, completed screenplay. Um, I, I think I knew that I like wanted to write it, you know, I, uh, like a, a couple months or like I'd known it for 
a couple months or so that I wanted to to do that um, because I'm a big music history person and I, um, you know, as much as I loved, you know, Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody and uh, Straight Outta Compton, I was like wanting to see more female versions of those. So um, I had like kind of had been thinking about it. it would be like, there would be like a good sample like cover it represents a lot of like the things I'm interested in. So once I kind of had more time and I, and I, I think, so I think I did like a, a month or uh, so of like research and then writing it felt, you know, I think it came, it was, it was one of the more fun filled uh, processes of writing something. So it, it flowed out pretty well. It was like, you know, another month or something. Wow. That is snappy. Is that how writing tends to go for you? And I don't mean that it's always a pleasure or always quick, but mm -hmm. but do you tend to get the whole thing fairly straight in your head and then uh, leap into writing? Are you an are you an outliner or do you go see to your pants? How do you yeah. approach it? Um, I'm definitely an outliner. I was listening to one of the. Uh, one of the other episodes you did with the the guy who was not an outliner oh <laughs> like, with spider oh yeah oh, that is some next gen kind of shit um i found it I, I found it rather terrifying as well yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's working for him so that's great for him um but yeah i mean but when i when i outline like for myself it's often in like i'm kind of just focusing on like if I even like, it helps me to visually like see it. If I'm writing it, even just in like a word doc or whatever, like the inciting incident break into act one midpoint, you know, break into act three, like climax, like even just like figuring out kind of like those six toning points, I think is what uh, in any general story is what like helps me anchor it. Sure. And then I'll just like, sort of like, so so like my when I do an outline for myself it's like it's it's mainly just like bullet bullet points and a little and like rot, like not very intelligible to anyone else who would be looking at it but it has like everything organized in a way that makes sense to me um but I don't like I like the exercise of like outline or a treatment for a job you know for and, and actually making it all like make sense and because it helps you like figure out what because often when I do like my little bullet pointy sort of thing I then go to script and I'm like oh I like this is only like a to g like I need to figure out a to b to c to e to g and then I'm like you know rougher it's it's definitely a more rough version of than like a, a super detailed one that I would turn into like a production computer studio or anything gotcha gotcha can you talk about where uh, you said that this was the uh the first screenplay that you had sold the shania mm -hmm. project what's going on with that now if, if yeah. you can talk about it uh what's going on and what's next with that project that i probably can't sadly okay. i mean i can say okay. it like you know it's sold and so it's in development and it Sure. Um, the next, yeah, the next step would be to like get the script in a, a place that it that everyone's happy with it, and then attach director actors. That's that could be the what course the next step development. Is. Would yeah. Follow. Yeah. 
makes sense. <laughs> Are you continuing to uh, work on other spec projects? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to dig yeah, for specifics so that, on what they are unless you yeah, care to share with what i can like to talk about i guess is that um the great thing about that script being a calling card is it led to another job doing another um another writing job another biopic writing job so and that's something that i am very happy to be in in that corner of the of the sandbox because like I said mm. I really like music history there's this guy Anthony McCarson that he's written like three or four of the of you know some of the big ones right now so you know that that was a great way that 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 first script led to some another opportunity and then I have a bunch of um spec scripts that I would love to be uh writing starting on and writing now i have something this might be helpful for the listeners to know those interested in screenwriting um something that happened to me after i sold that script is that i went out for some open writing assignments and those are assignments that a studio or or a production company they're set up already so on the one hand it's like oh there would be like maybe actual money already like set up if you go in a, in a bake-off against other writers and um if you get picked and you get like obviously that's great you get you get a job and get paid um but it seems they've been turning into uh like really hard to get and you can get in a trap of spending all your time like pitching these on these assignments because they're, they're a lot of work um and then you don't have time for your own stuff. So that's kind of what was happening to me before the strike. So it's actually kind of a good reset to be like, I want to get back to like all the, the other scripts that I wanted to do. So uh, in a Bake Off sort of a situation like that, how much are you writing with page count or by whatever metric? How much are you writing to establish your point of view on that? Yeah, generally you you're so the writer's guild rules are that you there's no writing left behind so you're not turning anything in ah but generally you're putting together a 20 minute ish pitch of your take got it which doesn't sound like a lot but it takes it takes like a fair amount of time you're you're breaking the whole story basically got it to do your pitch so it's it's a fair amount of work so yeah you have to be like i guess i have to learn to be protective about just like spinning my wheels in that world and um, in just trying to keep up with all of that, that I haven't been working on my own stuff. So sure. All the lessons you learn along the way. So Jessica, I have a question if that's okay, yeah. if we can go back go to the, the blacklist. And by the way, I feel a little called out because I'm not a big outliner. So <laughs> say what you want, no, but that's well, okay. We, I'm we kind of a spy. Yeah. <laughs> there's not there's not a right way to do anything. Well, there maybe it's this generation. Whatever gets know, the results but, is the right uh, way to do it. Yeah, yeah like, no, do I don't you know. Thing in your head, or you, or do you have it in your head, even if it's not on an outline, or literally it's just yeah, 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 yeah. Like I kind of like do like I have to have the story in my head and sort of see it, and then go one to ninety, and then I can kind of do my, you know, maybe see the whole picture and do it that way. But I don't know. I just I. I it feels like homework to me and I don't uh. know why it's always felt like that. Like I'm so 
and I don't know, writing's supposed to be fun sometimes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but anyway, sometimes. regarding the blacklist, <laughs> most of the time, uh, regarding the blacklist, there's one where you can submit your script and sort of get a paid valuation by, an, uh, I believe it's an industry member or mm -hmm. something like that. And then there's the blacklist, which uh, Jessica's script, Shania, got on the annual, the, uh, an informal list of the best uh, unproduced screenplays voted by the executives uh, that year. Am I correct, Jessica? And yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, what does that? What did that do to your career and your script? And um, what do you think it sort of does? Like, what's so special about the blacklist or uh, having a script um, on there? Uh, yeah, so like mm -hmm. for example, I know Air, I think it was yeah. a blacklist grip. Mm -hmm. uh, My so... same year, like they fast track that. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, what do you find so special about it or think that uh, can enhance your career? Um, so, the cool things about the blacklist, so like it's definitely like a buzzy thing that at the end of the year, everyone is like, every like everyone from writers to, um, producer is just like has their eyes on their inbox for when it's going to land um and so producers will definitely look at it to you know see what might be available like something that uh might interest them um so in terms of like actually having a better chance of your project getting made i think something like a third of the blacklist scripts have been made which is wildly better odds hmm. than the average well i've never heard that wow that's okay maybe maybe don't quote me well on i that, won't quote you I on that i read that somewhere but but i didn't know that it was mathematically significant at at, at all um yeah impressive i think so so we will fact check that for the listeners oh yeah um... we've got our crack team on it already so we'll <laughs> we'll get to the bottom of it um so it does have it does have however mathematically significant it does have significance in getting giving your project visibility to people who could get it made as well as just uh not just your project but generally your career if you're on the blacklist um you're probably gonna get a shit ton of meetings like it's a little bit of a, a badge of i don't know about legitimacy but uh it, it's something your your reps can say Oh, they were a blacklist writer, you know, oh, would you, because they, they meet with executives all the time and they like tell them about their clients and what scripts, you know, and so it's something that they will bring up to like, oh, would you, would you want to have a general meeting with this person? So you will probably get to meet a lot of people as well from being on the blacklist and people just like read them, you know, yeah, you can read them at the end yeah. of the year. Yeah. And so they like other random people just like know your work. It's, it's kind of just like. I guess a little bit of a PR boost all around. Is that how you got your rep then from was from the blacklist? Uh, no, I had um, I was already working with her. And so she sent my script out to all, you know, a lot of the people who vote um, are getting scripts from from reps uh, generally. So so, yeah, she's a big reason of like being on the list gotcha. in the first place. Yeah. Amazing. Mm -hmm. What would you and I, I realize with things in a little bit of turmoil in the industry with the uh, WGA strike and all this maybe makes this bonus challenging 
to answer, but what would you say, Jessica, to people who at this point say, I'm interested in getting into the industry. I know things are changing um, with streaming and all. So if I'm going to jump into the industry at this point, uh, what's my move? Uh, what, what would you say to that person? Um, what did Mark Twain say? Like, apply seat of pants to chair. You like, you got to do the writing. Like, mm-hmm. um, however, you know, however you need to get it done, uh, protect that time. And um, I think it's a, an interesting time where you, uh, you know, because especially with uh, the shifts from the pandemic that I think it's even more possible nowadays not to be living in LA uh, when you're when you're doing your initial writing, it, it, uh, you know, you can do that from wherever. So in terms of the, like, you have to get the writing done and, and also like always be trying to get read by like, especially people who are in the industry. Um, you want them to know your work and I mean, try, try and make sure your stuff is in a good enough spot where you can, uh, like make sure you get the 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 reads from your friends and your writing group first that people like okay this is good to go but people like once people know your work and they they know that you're they know that you can do it and you're you know you've sort of like declared yourself to them as a writer then they'll be much more likely to think of you to hire you just like always be having your stuff read by as by as many people as you can and you know i just they just better figure out all this ai stuff if that's what you mean by, by that question will there even be a a, a place for writers in the future because otherwise i'm just being a hermit and moving to my cabin so i'm just banking on that we're we're still going to be valuing our writers for a very long time i absolutely guarantee that the generative AI we've got right now cannot effectively replace a writer. But what I won't guarantee mm-hmm. is that the studios won't see it that way anyway, despite that yeah. being true. What we have right now is not a yeah. substitute and it's not close. But if it's decided and decreed that it is the substitute, then it is. And mm-hmm. that'll be a problem, though I think the industry yeah. would learn their lesson pretty quickly on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Generative AI is really exciting and really impressive and is useful for all sorts of things and isn't what it appears to be at first glance either. So that's going to be that's going to be a whole colorful thing. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it is terrifying <laughs> if you're a writer. Terrifying, but yeah. yeah, by all means to people, you know, go write that book you've always had in you and uh or your that script you've always had in you and and all this stuff hopefully will be sorted out by the time that you're uh putting it out into the world (laughs) i love that uh and if you could write absolutely anything you might dream of and pay the bills uh, what would that be for you or have you already answered that would that be music biopics for you Mm. Um, I have like four pillars that I, uh, which I include like film, TV, uh, stage and books. So mm. I would like to build all those cool. four, four pillars. And, and so I, I, th- I think I have footholds in like three. So 
just just keep building building the whole house going for that is... egot or what whatever applies in this case for yeah, that. yeah. Or, or what have you yeah <laughs> gotcha well I, I couldn't be more appreciative of you uh taking time out of your obviously busy schedule to uh chat with us today Thank you. It's so great that you guys are doing this. Super educational, interesting, um, and you're a pleasure to speak with. Um, I hope we'll be doing this again Likewise. when you have some fresh news for us about your new projects and you've learned the next chunk of whatever you're going to learn about the industry from whatever exciting thing happens for you next. Uh, we'd love to have you back sometime. Yes, absolutely. Um, it was a lot of fun and, uh, and, I've enjoyed the other episodes that you've recorded, and so I'll be excited to listen to more. Oh, thank you. Bye, Jess. Thanks. Bye for now, Jessica. Bye. Oh, man, Brian, do I feel like a woman. <laughs> oh, I really hope we'll have her back again one of these days. That was a great conversation. Uh yeah, I, I really wanted to be respectful of Jessica's time, but I was kind of tempted to try and keep her around for another uh, hour or three. Really love chatting with her. So, big thanks to Jessica Welsh for taking the time to join us today and for sharing her stories and insight. She's obviously incredibly talented, and chatting with her is a pleasure. I really, really hope she gets to do more seasons of Stillwater, but uh, who knows? What will and won't be renewed is pretty hard to predict in the world of streaming these days, it seems. Mm, yeah, and, you know, not just what gets renewed, but what even stays around at all. It's too many shows just disappear lately. It's unfortunate. Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. And uh, it used to be that everything, you know, you always had the alternative of running to best buy and picking something up on blu-ray or whatever and for our younger listeners just ask your parents if you don't know what blu-ray is so now we're in a situation where even pretty recent shows can just vanish and not be available anywhere at any price right but back to jessica <laughs> right uh bailey's always keeping me honest uh thanks uh i'd absolutely like to have her back at some point no matter what but that goes double if her Shania biopic goes into production. I really want to hear all about that process. Yes, me too. I will be sure to keep in touch with Jess. Perfect. Thank you so much, Bailey. In the meanwhile, big thanks to Story Summit for making this podcast possible. To meet other writers, improve your writing, learn to make a career of it, or even take the career you have to the next level, it really doesn't get any better than the wonderful people at Story Summit. Learn more now at storysummit.us. As always, thanks for listening, and until next time, keep writing, and never give up on finding your audience, producer, or publisher. You'll likely hear a million no's, but that's fine, because all it takes is that one yes. I've been your host, Brian Landweir. This episode produced by myself and Bailey Patterson with the support of David Paul Kirkpatrick of Story Summit. I hope to be a writer myself someday. Original music by Kenton Edward.